Hello and welcome to What's Brewing, CISFA. What's Brewing, CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community Colleges Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as the 2021-2022 CISFA past president. Dana, my co-host, is around, but this being the first week of our fall semester, I've got her booked on a bunch of other work. So it's a solo show, everyone. Let's get the show going. And here we are. And welcome to another episode of What's Brewing Ceasefire. Let's start the show off with our first cup. Or in this case, a refill of some kind of soft drink. Dennis picked up when he went out to a late lunch as he's recording a little later in the day. So without Dana, without someone to interview, again, this being the first week of classes here in the LA Community College District, I thought I'd pull out a topic that uh, is fairly topical this week. So the Los Angeles Times had an article just put out a matter of days ago titled, More than 65,000 fake students applied for financial aid in wide community college scam. And on top of that, a similar article uh, that links to the LA Times article comes out from Cal Matters. I've mentioned them on the show before. They're a nonpartisan news organization reporting on things all California. Their article was titled, that student in your community college class could be a bot. And that's an article that actually I was contacted by some of the reporters for Cal Matters um, to help them out on that. I'm not quoted in the article, but I referred them to a number of people across the state at community colleges that would have better information and who might have suspected fraudsters in their midst at their colleges. So this is a big topic. And so this last Thursday, just yesterday, is our monthly meeting of all the financial aid directors in the L.A. district. And we kicked it off with about an hour, hour and a half talk about this fraud stuff. So we had a number of people from outside of just financial aid in the district there to talk about it. I can't tell you a lot of details and all because things are always evolving on a topic like this. But these kind of things do come up. And so let me take you back in time a little bit. We've probably talked a little bit about this on the show. Why would we have this kind of potential fraud in the California community colleges? And there's a number of reasons why. You know, first and foremost, it's the lure of free money for those who won't work for it. Obviously, uh, well, unless you're willing to do crime, I guess, to work for it. You know, there are hundreds of billions of dollars every year in some form or another of financial aid across the U.S. You know, in the California community colleges, one of the biggest um, things that we talk about always and one of our biggest selling points is our low cost. We're not cheap, but we have a low cost at only $46 per unit. Even if you take 30 units in an academic year, that'd be a full-time fall semester, a full-time spring semester, 
you're right around the $1,300, $1,400 mark. But probably right around half of our students across the state who come to the California community colleges, who are California residents, or qualify as our DREAMer students, remember our AB 540 students, undocumented students who have been in California meet certain requirements. About half of our total students are getting a fee waiver. Going by different names now, I'm not going to go over all the different names. Um, that's only more confusing. So when you can factor all that in, it's easy then in a sense to pocket a lot of your money versus, for example, if I signed up and went to Harvard University, even if I got the maximum federal aid, uh, let's say I got some kind of state aid, maybe because I was a, a Bostonian and I was going to, you know, whatever. Um, and because I was in the state, I could get some kind of state aid. It would never cover the tuition alone of Harvard University. And again, they're also a very selective school as far as who they let in. They probably can screen out this kind of stuff much easier. And thus, if I didn't get enough aid to cover my cost, there's no way I'm getting any money back. But at a community college like those in California, if I get that fee waiver, other than some other fairly small fees, our health fee for the semester, our student government fees, our student rep fees, all those kind of things are pretty small. And so if I get federal Pell Grant and I can apply maybe for a federal student loan, I could have thousands of dollars rolling in before they ever catch me. And that's kind of where we're at. And so this has gone on at a lower level, certainly over the last however many number of years, uh, as I know in talking to colleagues at my own school, at schools in my district, etc. You hear about this and different ways to uh, combat it. But this is a different time. I mean, consider we're not the only ones out there that are facing these kinds of issues. I mean, who hasn't heard the stories? And again, Cal Matters did a really great reporting on this, and it only made me more mad and infuriated over time. But we all know about the unemployment fiasco here in the state of California. What could have been maybe just a few billion dollars initially estimated as theft or, you know, fraud, fraudulent claims, etc., is probably into the tens of billions, if not more, being stolen from the EDD fund. Again, these were the cases where people would come home and they'd find 20 envelopes with different people's names from EDD in their mailbox because people were using those as, in a sense, a drop point to collect information, send it off to the state. The state, during this whole pandemic, trying to respond appropriately, shot out a lot of money to a lot of people who claimed to be unemployed, you know, stolen identities, etc. And you ended up with a lot of fraud. Now, same thing potentially could be happening. So let me just go back real quick to that LA Times article. So what does that 65,000 number uh, come from? Well, we have some people at our California Student Aid Commission who do good research and they do look into things, uh, again, because they get all the applications for the students who apply for financial aid and list a California college on their FAFSA or their DREAM Act form. And there are certain things that stand out as potential um, signs for a student that might not be a real student or could be a bot. I'm not going to go through all those here on the line. 
partly not to clue people in, but also because these kind of things is a it's a shifting sands kind of world. What they do today, they may change in the future. Uh, there is no one set way to do fraud. But in a sense, the people at the Sunaid Commission um, suspected this because there were some irregular patterns detected in these uh, this data that comes through in mass. You know, it's one thing when you've got the results of one FAFSA. It's another one you have hundreds of thousands of them for students who are applying for aid, listening at California College, and in this case, California Community College. And you start to see patterns. 20 people at the same address. Not impossible. Certainly good reasons for that to be true, but certainly still a possible way that people are using that address for fraud. And so they were looking into this. And now, again, the 65,000, I'm not going to comment on whether it's high, low, real, unreal, just a shot in the dark, but it's it's been researched. And again, it's potential fraud. So unlike the LA Times that says in a wide community college scam, it could be a wide community college scam of much smaller proportions, maybe bigger. Maybe it's attempted because, again, there's multiple layers to everything that goes on when it comes to actually getting your dollars. You have to apply for aid. You have to apply for admissions. You have to get through both cycles. You have to have done it correctly. And again, because so much of both the admissions form and the federal aid form are self-certified, you got to get your information right the first time so that you're not asked for information later. After all, if I'm fraudulently claiming to be Joe Smith from Santa Clarita, and that's not me. And I put down something wrong about my high school graduation, and now they're asking for a diploma. Wow, that's a whole other level of fraud. Now I got to completely make up a diploma or a transcript. That could be a lot of work. So they have to get their facts straight from the start. So there's a lot of work. And of course, that means again, um, this is where uh, in the past when the Department of Education has sent their Office of Inspector General people out to our state conferences, they talk about how this could even occur because, again, the FAFSA people are not stupid. The information you put on your FAFSA goes into a system and a number of checks and balances are done, including if you are a U.S. citizen or an eligible non-citizen, like a permanent resident status, you've got to list your social security number and possibly your alien registration number. And then it's checked against those databases of the federal government. So I just can't make up a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine social security number and expect to get financial aid. It has to be tied to a real person with that name, whatever that name is. And so, you know, this is the part that troubles me and of course troubles others out there. How would, if it's a one person trying to defraud under a multiple of a multitude of names come across all those social security numbers and names. You know, are other people in on it? Is this a well laid out plan of multiples or are those numbers and names stolen? I remember one of the examples they gave uh, the office of inspector general at a conference and they have a little DVD that they show of uh, those that have been caught and prosecuted. It was someone, I believe, in Arizona who worked in a correctional facility and thus had access to 
uh, inmates, social security names, uh, social security numbers, their names, dates of birth, etc., and utilize that information to send off applications to the local community college and to send off FAFSA results, you know, send off the FAFSAs and defrauded the federal government out of many hundreds of thousands of dollars before getting caught. But that was, you know, one person stealing data on a lot of others. So these are big issues out there. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more on this topic, maybe get a little bit into the CalMatters article, but I figured now might be a good time for just a little bit of music, everyone. Welcome back for our second cup segment here on the What's Brewing Ceasefire Show. I just needed a little refill there, everybody. So today's topic is about fraud. As the name of the show is Skim, Scam, Scum. So people skimming money out of federal coffers, federal dollars, state dollars, potentially. The scams that might be being ran and the scum. Or, I, you know, that's a that's a big term to use against these people, but you can't, you just can't uh, prove to me that these people are not just bad people. And again, it has an impact. Now, what's the amount of an impact here? You know, it's hard to say, but think of it this way. On top of maybe getting free grant money and the Pell Grant funds, generally, it's been many years since the federal government has ever allocated money for Pell Grants in a year and then literally cut it off at some point and not allowed it to just meet the needs at hand. So it's not like the last person applying for Pell Grant. Oh, sorry, you're too late. You don't get anything. But that means there's extra expenditures every year to some percentage that might be going to those committing fraud. But on top of that, this is the bigger part. Student loans. So if you apply for federal Pell Grant, and you're already committing fraud, these people sometimes apply for student loans. After all, they've got the name, the social security number, and other information for somebody who either doesn't know they're being defrauded or is part of the ring, part of the part of the scum group there, I guess. Um, the scum scrum, using some rugby terms. And so they take out these student loans, and especially when it's people who don't know that they have been are being defrauded, Somewhere down the line, those people are going to find out on their credit reports, hey, I didn't know I had a student loan, and hey, I didn't know I was about to default on it, on payment on it. And now these loans have to be taken care of. You know, there's an investigation. I get these every every year uh, from the different uh, loan servicing companies that work on behalf of the Department of Ed to handle the servicing of student loans once they're in repayment. And so they need all the documentation of what we know, what we did as far as approving that student loan you know what did we collect from the student because here again you know both uh, part of modern society that's good and bad applications are online the master promissory note that is uh, signed by the student as their promise to repay all the information on them a couple references etc it's an online form now back in the olden days it was a multi-part paper form collected by the financial aid office. And so you had wet signatures, you had 
ink to paper. Occasionally, somebody would find a typewriter. I won't even go into uh, those who are wondering what's a typewriter. We'll talk about that on another show. But they would have that form all completed, turned in, signed in ink, and you could tell if there's some issues right up the front. But now these promissory notes are electronic. The whole process is kind of electronic in most cases with the school, with the Department of Ed, put it all together. Getting a student loan is not that hard. But again, the wherewithals to pay if you're not uh, not you, uh, you know, again, it, it happens to possibly fall on others who are being defrauded and may not know it. So those issues, again, money taken out of the pot for federal Pell Grant and other students who certainly could use the money and or if it wasn't going to fraudsters may show that there's extra money available for students. Who knows? So there are issues all up and down the line on top of the fact of the legalities of this all. You know, there's some real uh, problems. People have some low or no ethics or morals when it comes to this kind of theft. And, you know, people can try to make their case about those in bad situations, etc. but I'm not going to buy any of that. So it really, it is a problem. How big is it? It's hard to always quantify. This is where the Cal Matters article, the one that's, you know, titled that student in your community college class may be a bot, goes a little uh, deeper and goes across the way across the state. So here's an example here. I'm going to read the first three paragraphs real quick from their article. On the first day of spring term this year, an aeronautics professor came to administrator Laura Hope to share something suspicious. Most of the students in his virtual class weren't participating at all. Hope, the head of instruction at Chafee College, community college in Southern California's Inland Empire, dove into the college records to find out why. The shocking answer? These weren't real students, but scammers likely out to bilk taxpayers of millions of dollars in financial aid. Faculty and staff caught on to the scam before any dollars went out, Hope said. If they hadn't, about $1.7 million would have landed in the hands of fraudsters. So this is a school not too, too far away from me in Land Empire. And again, handling the broad scope of students that you do at a community college and a potential there for $1.7 million in fraud. This is why, how do we solve it? How do we stop it? Which is part of my next part of this conversation involves all of us. You know, the conversation I had this Thursday with our group uh, and the financial aid directors, because the article had just come out. We talked with people from across the district in different areas. And again, going forward, we will continue to do so and include people like our friends, our faculty members. Because whether they know it or not, and sometimes when they know it and they let us know it, boy, are they rankled. I bet that professor over at Chafee was. I had the same circumstances a number of semesters ago where I had a faculty member teaching an online class. And at that point, we were doing 5% of our classes online versus 75% that we're down to now instead of the 100% we were just a year ago. But coming to me and going, I'm having all these students in the class and they're not doing anything and I suspect some fraud. 
And we did a little work together, and we found out, yes, there's some potential here. And so uh, they got dropped. She dropped them all. She uh, let some people in off the wait list, and that was really the big thing. She had a very popular class. And she had all these students contacting her constantly who were on the wait list trying to get in. I mean, how frustrating would that be again? It's one of the things that I've always uh, had concerns about here at community colleges. Between the students who don't take class seriously or they continue to repeat classes because they're not putting in the effort, that's a class seat. That's a seat in a class that could have gone to someone else, and now you may be delaying their education because of it. Same thing in this. You have a fraudster occupying a seat, whether in a virtual class or not, and thus is taking up a spot for a student who is a real student and wants to get through. So going back to this Cal Matters article, you know, it goes in to talk about, you know, Chafee is not the only community college here to report this according to an investigation they did. You know, officials with the college system, so the system office, our chancellor's office, saying they're seeing a spike in cybers, cyber attacks since the pandemic. And again, because they could be targeting federal aid. But on top of that, we have all this COVID-19 relief emergency grants, what we call HERF for short at, uh, at all our meetings because it stands for Higher Education Emergency Relief Fund. So we've had three rounds of this money. We had a round that came out back in around May, June of 2020. HERF 1, as we call it. Then we had HERF 2 that came out at the end of 2020, the calendar year. And then HERF 3, shortly after the new administration came in. All different money. Most of the money, you know, at least half of all those funds targeted towards students directly with emergency grants, etc. And some money for institutions, too. You know, to cover things like overtime and backfilling and money uh, to help professors get online for classes, a variety of things to help shore up some institutions that switching to online instruction was a big jump. But this too, again, could be one of the reasons we're seeing an increase in fraud. Again, they see these additional $500 grants, $1,000 grants, maybe more going out to students who just have to be enrolled and have applied for aid. So there's just that much more out there potentially dragging people in to do these malicious acts. So some of it certainly could be well-coordinated, as it says in this article, too. Um, and that's something that we're looking into. And again, something all of us at the community colleges are well aware of and trying to work and address. You know, luckily we have the support of our system office because they run the application for admissions, our CCC apply system, basically a system wide application. So students can make it. So it makes it easy for students to apply for admissions, any of the 116 community colleges in the state. But again, along with that easy to apply comes these kind of risks, but there are of course software involved and vaccine things that try to catch this as much as possible. We're not in quite the day, and I don't know if we ever want to get to that day or will, where all these different government systems are tied together, where all this information just flows freely. So it's easy to see that this person here applying for admissions has used a stolen identity 
or an identity of a dead person and might not get caught till later um, to get into a school using that of a grandparent without the grandparent knowing it. Um, you know, all these kinds of things uh, won't, uh, all our systems are not tied in quite that way. Those system checks have to be done, but again, it's not completely infallible. If someone tried to apply in my name and had all my information, it's not that social security would, you know, send me an email because I've signed up with them to say, Hey, guess who you know, someone has applied for this kind of federal benefit and it would say federal student aid using your name and social security number. If this is you, you're okay. You know, like sometimes you get those kind of things when you sign up for uh, newsletters or accounts online or you log into your computer with your iCloud account. Not all of that um, happens in the background. We don't have all the federal systems tied together quite like that. In some ways, I'm sure people are like, thank goodness. I don't know if I trust them to do all of that put together. But that just kind of gives you an idea of what's kind of going on out there. So we are working to stop it. We want to stop it. What can people do out there to help? Well, again, as these things get noticed, if you're working in the financial aid office, work with your staff on what you can do. Figure out what kind of resources you need, what's available. Again, this is a combination of, of uh, resources on campus. It's financial aid, working with our admissions and records, working with our academic affairs people, Cluing in our faculty. And certainly I know some articles or somewhere along the line, I've read something about, you know, faculty don't see this as part of their job and all that. Very true. None of us are meant to be detectives. But in reality is, if it's taking up seats in your class that you could have real students, wouldn't you want real students? So I'm going to definitely have links to both of these, the Cal Matters and the Los Angeles Times article in today's show notes. But looking at where we are on the time clock, I think it's time for a little bit of music so we can roll ourselves into the last part of the show. And just like that, we're back. Or I should say I'm back for our last sip segment. I'm always surprised that I can get this show to be as long as it is where I, it's as long as I want it to be when it's just me and poor Dana hasn't joined us again. I will corner her next week. And if we have all the staff in, I will get her to do at least one, if not both of the shows next week. So right now I dare you to selections. I did say I'd do something. And so uh, this is just an, I dare you to of a personal nature. Uh, cause this was an interesting conversation. I had a friend had with a friend that I went to a Dodger game with lately when we just happened to be uh, talking about a mutual friend and this is it. I dare people when you are, uh, confronted with somebody else trying to converse with you, you know, whether you're at a, a cigar lounge or somewhere else out in public that if you happen to be on your computer, your tablet, your phone, doing other things while they're trying to talk to you. I dare you to put those items down as much as possible, turn them off and actually converse with the person showing that you are actively involved with them in this conversation 
in my mind is like the highest form of praise you can give to another person. It means they mean something to you and what they're saying is meaningful and that you value them in their conversation. And as much as we all find our smartphones to be readily at the draw with little bits of information, distractions to fill every moment of our lives, I think we miss out on so much deeper conversations. You know, this is probably going to be part of our uh, current Cease for President Anna Fay's whole conference thing. Again, disconnect to reconnect is all about this so that we can have true, real, meaningful conversations. You know, what? maybe one other idea you two, if I haven't put it out here, Alan Alda, great actor, director, writer, podcaster, everything else, has a podcast. He's got two now, actually, called Clear and Vivid and Science Clear and Vivid. I'm going to, I dare you to listen to him. It's all about conversation and having good conversation. Listen to his podcast. It's really worthwhile. I learn a lot. He's got some books out there, too. Read those if you have time. But for today, that's about all we have time for today. But don't worry. There's always our next episode. So I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning in today. If you have something to say or you have topics you want to discuss, email us at wbcisfa at gmail.com. For this and all What's Brewing Cisfa podcasts, find us on Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcasts app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing Cisfa is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of me and Dana. This has been episode number 120, recorded Friday, September 3rd, 2021. I hope everyone has a good day, a great day at that, and really have a great weekend.